Thanks for listening to the Woodward Podcast Network. Check out more shows by searching for us on Spreaker or wherever you catch your podcasts. The Woodward Podcast Network with Krupka Dental Associates. Hello, this is Dr. John Krupka from Krupka Dental. We now have the Soleil Laser. You can have your fillings done without needles nor drills. We are a full-service dental office and always accepting new patients. To learn more about me and my friendly team, visit KrupkaDental.com. You're listening to Outside the Box with Ben Kamenos here on WHBY. Outside the Box is brought to you by Hooper Law Office, providing a pathway to your legacy. You know, I pride myself on trying to, I don't want to say I call things down the middle. I always say, I, I, a lot of people think that being objective in media is the same thing as being unbiased and I personally don't see it that way I think every human has a bias one way or another but it's an ability to call it how you see it and to not be entrenched in your beliefs that leads to just growth in general but I think that's how politics specifically is supposed to work as soon as we trench get in our trenches and tr- just get entrenched in a philosophy, a belief, a political ideology, it stops the growth of the country as a whole. And the more I cover media, the more I'm beginning to notice that certain things drive us nuts when one team does it, and then whenever the other team does it, ah, well, you know, they're human, right? And we actually received a call from a fantastic caller who will remain anonymous, of course, she asked to remain. She asked me, what would I expect Joe Biden to do if he weren't on vacation? Right now, what would I expect Joe Biden to do? I don't know what the answer to that question is. But what I do know is whenever in Texas the energy grid completely collapsed in on itself, uh, Ted Cruz went to Cancun and there were calls for him to resign or be impeached as a result of that for abandoning his people during a weather emergency. Ted Cruz is not an electrical genius. He is not um, He's not in control of the weather. I don't think he has the controls for the Jewish space lasers, at least not that I'm aware of. I'm joking. I'm joking, of course. Um, but I say all this, and I'm not a Ted Cruz fan. I think he's a clown. I think he does not have the American people's best interests at heart. I think he is not a good senator. Full disclosure. That being said, if you were upset about him leaving during a massive electrical failure, during a state of emergency... That is technically what our president did this week. Whether you look at the weather con- the weather tragedy up in western New York and a couple of other places as well, but that's the one getting the bulk of the coverage. Um, the issue with Southwest, you can fill in the blank. It seems like a COVID resurgence. Uh, re- no, I don't know if it's record numbers, but there are reports of 1,500 people a day being caught at the border right now. Quite a few issues all taking place right now. I'm a firm believer... If you take the role of president, the idea of Christmas vacation, as much as you want to spend time with your family, I realize these people are human, but at the same time, you took on a responsibility. No one put a gun to your head and said, be the president. No one puts a gun to your head and says, be a senator. 
You choose to do these things. So whenever you have a vacation planned, but a ton of things go awry, you need to be there to address it. These are the responsibilities that you agreed to take on whenever we elected you. Anybody wants to chime in? I'm just getting started here, but anybody wants to chime in? 920-281-1150. 920-281-1150. But then you can imagine my frustration whenever you turn on Fox News and they have their 24-hour perpetual outrage machine just cranking at full volume about the idea that, can you believe the president wouldn't be here during this emergency? And it's just... It's almost insulting at this point, and it would be even more, I I would be even more, I should say, the even more frustrating part is that you see people falling for it. You see people who were okay, and full disclosure, Donald Trump set the record. The president that was away from the White House the absolute most in all of American history was the last president. Not a peep from one half of the media outlets. And the other half of the media outlets couldn't stop talking about it. Can you believe that there's until 11 a.m. on Donald Trump's schedule, all it says is executive time? Have you heard CNN or MSNBC talk about what's on Joe Biden's schedule once? I certainly haven't. I most certainly haven't heard them talk about it. And this is the whole crux. We're not here to talk about whether or not politicians should be allowed to take vacations. I don't know who makes that decision. What I'm here to talk about is consistency in media reporting. To be perfectly frank, I don't even think that any of the mainstream media outlets are trying to hide their bias at this point. I think they, they let it fly, but where they lose me is they have lost their objectivity. They think that we're gonna forget about stuff that they said two years ago, and quite frankly, I think a lot of people do forget what they said two years ago. That's not how I'm wired, though. Almost to a fault. I wish I could forget things sometimes, and I just remember a lot. It's genetic. I don't I don't know. It's just what happens whenever I get information, whenever I see information, when I hear people say things, it typically sticks. Sometimes you'll hear me say, I know I heard this somewhere, but I, I, I forget the source, but I typically remember everything I hear. And it starts to drive you a little crazy. Once you start to see all of the inconsistencies in how the media will report the same story, depending on who is in power at that time. And then we turn around and get upset at the other person for doing a thing that we were okay with three years ago. Can someone please explain to me how we're okay with this? They even the article was written. Just listen to how vague this is. This is the uh, the the journalist in me coming out here. But Fox News has an article about it on their website. Biden vacations in Virgin Islands as Americans face problems at home. Is there ever a time, ever, picture in the last twenty two years since since two thousand? It could go on beyond that, but we'll just use two thousand as a, as a breaking point here. Was there ever a time between two thousand and today where the headline, Americans face problems at home, would not be accurate. Is there ever a time whenever if you worded it that way that you would not be right? Americans are always facing problems at home. So in reality, no matter when Biden decided to make this decision, this article was going to be released. And you could say the same thing the inverse way about Donald Trump, Ted Cruz, etc., 
And it, it, it harkens back to the days of the Obama administration whenever the biggest scandals were like uh, wearing a tan suit or eating a hot dog with spicy mustard on it. It's designed to tick people off. And like I'm ticked off about it, but not in the way they anticipated. I'm ticked off because these guys have a responsibility to us. I always say these mainstream media outlets have all the resources. They have people in every state. They have people overseas. They have people that specialize in specific topics. They have everything you could possibly need to keep the American people informed. And this goes for all three stations. Please do not think I'm aiming this at one. And instead, they decide to force propaganda for one party or the other into people's ear holes and expect people not to notice. I kept joking about it yesterday that online I was talking a little bit of trash on Pete Buttigieg's uh uh, record so far as Secretary of Transportation, and a whole bunch of Democrats just dogpiled me, calling me MAGA and this, that, the other thing. And I couldn't do anything but laugh because uh, I think anyone that listens to this show knows I'm pretty far from MAGA. I just look at things objectively, and I think most people don't, or they believe the things that they hear in the mainstream because they have the ability to give this information to you 24 7. They never once criticized Donald Trump for doing this exact thing. It's just so frustrating whenever you see it. Here's a couple. So I went through and I just grabbed a couple of headlines um, just because this one is aimed at Biden. I found a couple more about Biden. Um, there's outrage that President Biden secured the release of Brittany Griner. Um, reporter freaks out over President Biden eating ice cream at campaign stop. Um, fear. Oh my God. How about this one? Uh, chances are they're fear mongering that Biden's IRS agents will hunt down and kill middle-class taxpayers. That's actually an article on Fox news. I actually think I emailed myself. I might have to play it on the other side of the break. Yeah. I'll, I'll see if I can find it on the other side of the break. I emailed myself a clip of a person talking about these 87,000 new IRS agents, which fans of the show know I am not in favor of because I know gosh darn well those IRS agents are not going to be focusing on billionaires they're going to be focusing on you and me they're going to be cracking down on on servers tips and not the zero dollars in taxes that every billionaire pays every year that's how that IRS is working I'm not getting it twisted there but I don't think the IRS is coming to gun us down if we don't pay our taxes that is not something that I think that we are hiring 87,000 IRS agents to, to to do might be a bold stance, but uh, I'm going to take it. I hope that's okay with everybody. Whenever I see stories like this, it just drives me nuts, especially when BJ was playing a story, a soundbite earlier today about a guy talking about the idea that Americans are sick and tired of the partisanship. They're sick and tired of the constant fear and anger and divisive way we portray stories, and he's trying to do all good news. Now, I don't... I could do a whole segment on how I think good news stories in the media are also kind of an issue that we have. Um, but I do think he's right in the idea that we don't want to see the divisiveness in media anymore. Just to clarify what I meant there, because I don't want people to think I don't like good news. I find that in this country, we'll tell a good news story. Like uh, I'm just going to think of a completely hypothetical one here. Uh, like a teacher will need a bone marrow transplant and... Uh, she won't have the money for an operation. So, like, 
all or no, she won't have the time off or something like that to be able to get this operation and still make a living. And so the news will do a story be like this teacher was going to have to go into bankruptcy to get this procedure. But instead, all of her co-workers volunteered half of their days off so that she could take six months off to get this operation. Isn't that nice? And it's like, that is nice. That's obviously a tremendous gesture from the person's staff. But in a lot of other countries, especially where it's a more uh, single-payer approach or a government-subsidized medicine or different approaches than the strictly privatized approach that we take, that procedure would just be covered. So I don't say that we in America just want good news. We want not divisive news. We want to hear what is happening without that spin. Do I think that the president should be going on vacations, especially whenever there's a bunch of concurrent uh, emergencies? No. I don't. I don't know what he could do, but we need the guy, the head of all of these departments who are operating without him right now, to be in position to do something about it. That's my belief. And I'm not doing this because I think uh, Democrats are all dumb. I'm doing it because I did the same thing whenever Trump was doing this. I did the same thing whenever Ted Cruz was doing it, and I'm going to say it now. This is the way people need to start thinking about politics. This is how we evolve politically and as a country. This is how we move forward. This is how we stop arguing about the same six topics over and over and over again. We have to unentrench ourselves and really look at this stuff objectively. I'm not saying get rid of your bias. I'm saying look at it objectively. That's the end of that. <laughs> Anyone who wants to chime in, 920-281-1150. The only thing you guys are going to get out of this one is that I hate good news, I feel like. Um, when we come back, we're going to jump into this drug pricing story. This is where I originally anticipated wanting to start this this show, but you guys dictate where I go with things. And whenever a caller chimed in talking about uh, about asking about what Joe Biden could do, I figured why, is, why not just start here. So when we come back, we're going to look at this drug pricing um, provision of the Inflation Reduction Act. I know a ton of you listening are, are uh, positively impacted by this part of the bill and talk about are there unseen uh, consequences to what could come here and why are so many politicians trying to get in the way of this now? You're listening to Outside the Box with Ben Cominos here on WHBY. Shop Woodward Radio Group's big deals and save up to 30% off every day on gift cards and certificates to local businesses. Featuring home and garden, automotive, food and beverage, services, travel, entertainment, and more. Check back often for new inventory, plus shop our clearance section for up to 70% off. Shop local and save today with Woodward Radio Group's big deals. Click on the big deals button at whby.com. Exclusions apply. See online store for details. You know, before I get into what I want to talk about here, I did want to mention I forgot to do it last segment. Um, I don't know how many people were listening uh, during the What's Been Happening segment at the top of the show. Uh, Jason and I were chatting. He mentioned that the, the Packers are playing at noon. Anyone who heard that and got confused or forgot there was a flex, they're actually playing at 325 this Sunday. Uh, we had a caller, Jeff, who called in and corrected that shortly after the mistake, and it just completely slipped my mind until right now. So I wanted to make sure that I clarified that uh, 
The Packers game is going to be on at 325. Don't be waking up and going to the bar early. Well, you can still do that, of course. I'm not telling you how to live your life. But I'm saying if you were doing that specifically for the Green Bay Packers game, it will not be on at noon. It's going to be on in the 330 range. Also, it's against Minnesota, and I'm telling you right now, I've got a good feeling about it. I've got a good feeling about it. Before I get into this drug story, actually, while we're talking about checking out the big deals on WHBY.com, you can do so, and you should also be downloading the WHBY app powered by uh, Christensen Heating and Air Conditioning. All you got to do is search WHBY in Google Play or the App Store. Super easy to use, very user-friendly, free, gives you updates, gives you access to all of our different programming that you may have missed over the past couple of weeks. Uh, I always joke, I don't know how long that the... Uh, the memory goes, but I can tell you right now, my first show I've ever done is still on there. So it's a lot of memory. So if you ever miss a program, not just of me, of course, Dave Edwards, Haley Tenpest, or Jonathan Krauss, every single one of our shows is on there. You can go ahead and check it out. We also have articles that we're writing as well. Uh, I have started writing, uh, what do you call them? Op-eds, uh, opinions, opinion pieces here for you guys. I wrote one about Christmas shopping and also about the Brittany Griner prisoner release. I just like getting more of my thoughts out there in a more uh, controlled and uh, just more well thought out approach. Whenever I'm writing, I write one sentence, then I sit there and think carefully about what I'm doing next. Whereas here, I tend to react emotionally. <laughs> I'm joking, of course. I, I have my facts here as well. But there's a lot more of a free-form approach here, especially whenever I let you guys decide which way we're headed here with all these different conversations. So drug pricing. And I really would like to hear, especially from people on Medicare and who traditionally vote Republican. If you're a, if you're a what do you call it, a lever puller and always vote, that's, that's fine, of course, too. But if, if you more than half the time vote Republican, I'm interested in your thoughts on this story here. So um, in November, so not that just a month ago, Senator Marco Rubio and several other Republican senators introduced legislation that would repeal the new prescription drug pricing reforms, which Congress approved in the Inflation Reduction Act. This is the one essentially that's knocking the uh, insulin prices down to 35 bucks is the famous part of that. There's quite a few meds that this is actually going to impact. I believe 7% of the overall meds is the number. I don't have that in front of me, but I do believe I remember seeing that yesterday. But here's the thing. Those 7% of meds make up 60% of the costs for Medicare. So this is a big deal. This is a big deal. Medicare is one of our biggest expenditures outside of, of course, defense spending. Um, and it's not even close to two. But I mean, Medicare is still a very large expenditure. Uh, you're going to hear about that, especially as we, we, we start talking here about debt ceilings and things like that. Come January, there's going to be a concerted effort to, uh, to address Medicare spending. So this is one of those measures. That's what's so frustrating. Um, so my question before we even get into this story is, how is this a political option? How is it that Republican senators can feel confident enough in their ability to get reelected that they can say and do this stuff out loud? Especially whenever, just I'm just stating the facts here, traditionally, conservative voters are older, which means they probably have Medicare which means they probably are going to be impacted positively by this bill. So what's the logic here behind not allowing 
this part of the bill to pass. I'm going to give you Big Pharma's logic, but I think you'll be able to see through that garbage pretty quickly. I want to know what the political angle is to this. How could you possibly think that this is a politically viable strategy unless every single one of the senators stumping for this have just recently won election? Because I know Rubio just won, who's the only one they mentioned by name in this article. But I don't know who the other ones are at this time. So Big Pharma has been lobbying aggressively. And whenever I say aggressively, I mean they have three lobbyists for every one congressperson. Wrap your head around that. So they've been lobbying aggressively against Medicare drug pricing, uh, claiming, hysterically I might add, um, that the uh, changes could set the U.S. back to the dark ages of biomedical research. That is a quote from a spokesperson for a pharmaceutical lobbying group. It will send (laughs) us back to the dark ages of biomedical research. Now, I don't expect you guys to listen to every single minute of every single program that I ever do, although you should be. It's a good show, but I don't expect you to. So some of you may be unaware of this. Since 2010, there has not been one medical advancement that has not come without a government subsidy. Okay? So anytime you hear a pharmaceutical company telling you that lowering the prices they make will directly impact their ability to develop new meds is a bald-faced lie directly to your face. Anytime a politician corroborates that claim, it is a bald-faced lie directly to your face. Every drug invented since 2010, at least partially, has been funded by you and I. And then they turn around. Does this sound familiar? It's because we had the exact same conversation about the airports yesterday. They turn around then and sell us the drugs that our money created at exorbitantly high prices that most of us cannot afford. The whole reason I know this information is because we did a story on a new prostate cancer drug that was going to cost people $190,000 a year that was almost completely developed with government subsidies. So it's socialism for them. And then it turns into capitalism. That's always the theme here. The socialism only ever goes one way in this country, and it's to the wealthy who then turn around and say, we shouldn't expect handouts. So they're going to be banging this drum pretty hard here. I have a quote here from Rubio that I'm going to read now uh, in regards to these talking points from pharmaceutical companies. I want drug prices to be lower, but we have to do it in a way that doesn't undermine the creation of new drugs. You're lying. Companies are not going to invest in developing new treatments unless they believe they have a chance to make back their money with a profit. Okay, so do you see how, without even needing to rehash anything I just said, how everything he said there is objectively disprovable as long as you have the information? Do you see how every single word out of his mouth there was a lie designed to fearmonger people into being afraid? Because that's at the end of the day what all of these claims are trying to do. Uh, there's actually a quote from another congressperson here, uh, Democratic, uh, recently elected, Peter Welsh from Vermont. Uh, All the contributions they make and all their lobbying money gives them a lot of power. But I think what gives them the most power is that everybody can imagine themselves in a position where someday somebody they really love is going to need a pharmaceutical drug and won't be able to get it. They play on the fear we all have by basically saying, if you make us charge reasonable prices, that's going to happen. 
I think that's a pretty accurate assessment because they keep doing that. Well, if you want us to keep developing these drugs, uh, you're going to need to pay these exorbitant prices or else how are we going to find the money? A, you're not using your own money to do it. B, what good is developing all of these drugs if I can't afford to get them anyway? Oh, good. Bill Gates will be covered if he gets prostate cancer. Otherwise, who cares? That's what we're essentially doing. I always laugh at the idea... We talk about this quite a bit on this show, actually, that regardless, a system's only as good as the people in power. You show me a capitalist system, you show me a socialist system, you show me a communist system, and I'm going to show you a system that has a few people with a ton of money and a bunch of people struggling to get by. It's the same way with medical approaches. You show me a completely private insurance company, yeah, medical insurance process, you show me a public option, you show me a combo of the two. If you have corrupt people in charge, you're not going to to get the results you're looking for. If the actual rules are enforced, you're going to get beneficial outcomes. It's a matter of getting to those outcomes. So I'm not sitting here saying that we need to privatize or uh, take it public or go completely private, whatever it is. I think a blend of the two is the better option, but allowing for this approach is essentially allowing the pharmaceutical company to dictate when they're going to raise prices. And it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Because in 2021, which is as far as the stats go, do you have any idea how many drug price increases there were across all the drugs in this country? Go ahead, guess. We'll give everybody five seconds. All right, everybody have their guess. It's probably like in the low hundreds. It's 1,186 times. There were 1,186 price changes. And guess what? None of those price changes went down. So pharma, big pharma, wants you to believe that they're not going to do this. They're not going to continue raising prices whenever everything is to the contrary. And here's whenever it gets infuriating. I have a quote here from a spokesperson for Pharmaceutical Research and Manufacturers of America. It's actually called Pharma. It's a pro-Big Pharma a lobbying group. She's quoted, uh, to, uh, we will keep, <laughs> I almost can't do without laughing. We will keep working to mitigate the law's harm and continue to push for real solutions that will bring financial relief to patients. She's acting as if Big Pharma isn't the one in control of these prices. I say the same thing about inflation. They're like, look, this, this law is not going to work, but we're going to pray to the almighty pharma gods and hope that some way we can find a way to bring these prices down. We can't imagine what it is. I think I found it. Sarah, I think I found the way to lower the prices, and it's this bill right here. This is what's going to lower the prices, and only for 7% of the drugs. But spoilers, this is only where we get started. I'll be honest with you. I always, what am I? Progressive libertarian. Progressives are not happy with this bill. They don't think it goes nearly far enough. This is a starting point as far as I'm concerned. And the same rep Peter Welsh said, if this negotiation works on this bill that we are currently trying to pass now, it can work in the private market too. And that's whenever we're going to really start to see the changes that we deserve to see as consumers of medicines. I can even put the personal spin on this myself. My dad recently, he has a ton of meds that he's on. He recently just had another one added to his list, extra $500, extra $500 for a med, just one of them. That's not one of the ones controlled by Big Pharma either, or I'm sorry, by the Inflation Reduction Act. It's not going down. I'm sure plenty of you have similar stories to that as well. So there's an extra $500 cost that you weren't anticipating. Sellers Bank phone lines are rolling here. Hello, you're on Outside the Box. Yeah, good morning, Ben. This is Gary. Yeah, Collins. hey, what's up, Gary? Hey, uh, you know, I think uh, I'm not going to defend the the drug companies on sure. their pricing, but 
I will say that for people under 65, maybe some of those people aren't on the drugs they should be because they can't afford to go to the doctor to get the initial treatment. And it is a system. It, it involves the doctors, the pharmacies, uh, the manufacturers of, of the quantities, for example. You know, remember when we had the COVID uh, issue on testing? Couldn't get enough test kits? Sure. Uh, and just the other day, my wife said to me, hey, they got this outbreak in uh, China. Uh, and I said, yeah, they send people to the moon, too, or at least uh, rockets all over to Mars. And they're very sophisticated. Uh, and she asked me, well, how come they can't get a vaccine over in China to mitigate the problem over there? And I said, I don't have the answer for that. But uh, it is interesting how China can be so advanced and yet not provide enough vaccines for their population. And if anybody is going to prescribe that their people have to take the vaccine, it would be in China. Over here, it's voluntary. So we can blame ourselves for the spread of illnesses and so forth when people don't get their shots. But you can't explain it over in China, and you can't explain people here that don't go to the doctor other than it might be a cost factor or a religious factor. Yeah, it almost certainly is typically a cost factor. I don't have the stats in front of me, but you don't have to dive too far into Google to see those stories about, like, X percentage of Americans have have an an ailment that they aren't treating because of the anticipated cost with it. That's why my excitement stems from, he says, if this works on Medicare, then this process can work in the private market, too. Because private market is exactly who you're talking about, everybody 64 and younger, who is still going to be dealing with these prices. Uh, I couldn't agree with you more. And as far as the China stuff goes, I've also heard rumors that they have vaccines over there, but they're significantly worse. Uh, I don't know if it's if it's different pharmaceutical companies. I don't know if it's Chinese pharmaceutical companies. I have no idea. Um, I haven't heard anything, but I do know the wheels are coming off over there, which is kind of wild considering how strict all of their policies had been up until a couple weeks ago. Yeah, I don't know about the, the who balances the world supply, but... Uh... You know, at one time, uh, it was being said that we were shipping vaccines to third world countries, and yet there was a shortage here in our supply chain. For and, sure. Uh, it's and always a supply chain problem. So, you know, yeah. uh, it's never it's never a medical system problem where you, you have people not accessing medical care and not getting it from the drugstore. Although I will agree with your pricing argument that, yeah, it is exorbitant, and uh but, hey, like you said the other day, the railroads are subsidized, the airports are subsidized. Everybody's on the train, you know? Exactly, except for you and me. <laughs> we're the ones We're the ones told go back to work and stop complaining. Everyone else. I'm everyone still else. at the station. <laughs> I'm at the station. Thank you. Thank Bye. you. Take it easy, Gary. Yeah, uh, there's, there's a lot to what he's saying about that there. And... Um, also, if you want to talk about claims about vaccines, Big Pharma also said, or I'm sorry, not Big Pharma, Pfizer specifically said, we're going to sell these vaccines, but we're going to make a negligible profit. And in 2021, they uh, ended up making record profits. And in 2022, they're set to shatter those record profits. So it's interesting that the, selling that vaccine for barely any money actually turned into record profits. How did they pay for those vaccines again? Oh, right, government subsidies. I forgot. I'll tell you what, we're going to keep this conversation rolling on the other side of the break. You're listening to Ben Kaminos, um, or Outside the Box with Ben Kaminos here on WHBY. 
You're listening to Outside the Box with Ben Commoners here on WHBY. Outside the Box is brought to you by Hooper Law Office, providing a pathway to your legacy. Look, I don't... I'm sure you guys can tell anyone who was listening to yesterday's show, I have no love loss for the Democratic Party. I think they're very ineffectual in governing. I think they have good ideas. I don't think they're good at implementing good ideas, and I sometimes question how serious they are about implementing good ideas. So I get extra frustrated whenever one of those good ideas actually gets through, and here we are still trying to find a way to stop it from happening. I can't imagine what goes through the, the mind of a person like Marco Rubio or any conservative politician that thinks eliminating this bill is good for its constituents. And to try and spin it in the same fear mongering, talking point way about being afraid about the idea of producing new drugs, whenever this information is becoming more and more readily available. Like, in all seriousness, you can look this information up pretty easily. That means that they know their constituents aren't going to. And that's probably the most frustrating part about it. I tend to get, I I avoid echo chambers uh, in my own life because I don't, as I mentioned, I don't like getting entrenched in one way of thinking. That being said, I think there is a bit of an echo chamber in the people I interact with in news media because the only people who would listen to a show like this are people that follow politics. If you aren't following politics regularly outside of this show, you're probably not going to care very much about what's going on once I'm talking, right? It's just there's people who choose to not care about these things, and then there's people that realize the impact that it has on their day-to-day life. I exclusively interact with people who know how serious this is, who don't just fall for the 15-second sound bites. They do research, they look into the claims of what people would say, and then they make their own decisions from there. And I get optimistic whenever I interact with all of you guys, and then you take a step out of this bubble that we find ourselves in of people that are politically knowledgeable. And I'm not even saying a bubble of of left, right, or independent. I mean a bubble of people that know about politics versus the significantly larger bubble of people that really couldn't care less. I always say there was a, similar to here, we have WHBY, we have The Score, we have a bunch of other stations. I'm coming from a place that we also had a sports station. On the same day, about half of the Amazon rainforest caught on fire, and also one of the Steelers' receivers, Antonio Brown, his helmet didn't fit. Articles were written about both stories. Which one do you think got more views by almost 100 times? That's right, it was the Steelers' one. That's the reality of the situation. So when Rubio goes out there and makes these claims, I have to believe there is a high percentage of people who are willfully ignorant to the situation, hear those words and assume that must be right. Because you can draw a line from A to B there. Well, if we charge, if we charge, if we make pharmaceutical companies charge less, they're not going to have as much money for R&D. That makes sense logically if you didn't know that we were covering a lot of the R&D. As soon as that information becomes readily available, all of a sudden you think to yourself, well, hmm, Why is this guy actively trying to mislead me right now? But he's banking on the fact that most people aren't going to say that. And I think that is the most frustrating and almost sad part of this entire equation. Marco Rubio just won re-election based on these kind of lies, these kind of claims. And I'm not sitting here saying lies only come from one side. I think you know me well enough to know that that is not what I'm saying. 
What I am saying is in this particular story, he and whoever his cohorts are, are actively trying to operate against the interests of the American people, spreading nothing but lies and fear-mongering, and he's going to get away with it. I don't know if there, this, bill's going to, this part of the bill is going to get repealed or not. I hope it won't. And there's a lot of claims that as soon as it starts to get initiated, there's no way they're going to be able to undo it. It will become part of America. So we just have to get it rolling. And the fact that a bill can pass and we still don't know whether or not it's going to actually become operational or not shows you there's a problem with our system. But pharmaceutical reps are working overtime right now to make sure that these, these parts of the legislation do not pass. They're taking every legal recourse they have to slow down the process, try and make it so it doesn't get through, looking for some way to weasel their way out of charging reasonable prices. Think about what we're asking them to do. It's not like we're asking them to give it to us for free. We're saying, don't charge us an arm and a leg. So meanwhile, while you have Marco Rubio actively acting against the bill, you have people like Ron Wyden out in Oregon saying that his committee will be on the lookout for any political or corporate meddling with regard to drug price reforms. And of course, Bernie Sanders, who's set to take charge of the Senate's Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions Committee, has vowed to use his position to challenge the incredible greed of the pharmaceutical industry. Now, he's going to need the support of his fellow co-workers here, of his colleagues you can't just do it as one person. I think that's been proven time and time and time again. But the idea that half of our politicians could be like, yeah, this industry is clearly taking advantage of you, and their pockets are lying too. Why do you think Kirsten Cinema is an independent now? Because she received $750,000 from Big Pharma and then voted against lowering the prices of drugs. It's flagrant. It's blatantly obvious. This is why the Democrats aren't supporting her right now. This is why she went to independent. She can give you all the malarkey you want to hear about, oh, well, in this time, I just think we need to have more free thinkers. No, you're not a free thinker. You're just another shill. That's all you are. Stop trying to hide behind the idea of independence and free thinking in an effort to line your pockets. Isn't it interesting that all the wealthiest people talk about freedom of speech and, uh, and free thinking? They're like, I'm not a Republican or a Democrat. Now listen to all these right-wing policies I have. And it's just like, who do you think you're fooling? Who do you think you're fooling with this? So I'm not here saying that it's just the Republican Party. Plenty of Democrats have taken money from Big Pharma. At the end of the day, though, right now, December 30, 2022, only one party is trying to get in the way of trying to make our lives just a little more livable. And quite frankly, just laying the groundwork for some massive changes that could be in the pipeline over the course of the next decade to actually make a lot of these different medical procedures feasible. I have I just got out of a dentist appointment a couple days ago. You look at the prices next time you go to a dentist if you don't have dental insurance. It's obscene. It's absolutely obscene what they charge. And you still come out owing multiple hundreds of dollars, but you're thankful at the idea that you at least don't owe multiple thousands of dollars. And you go to so many other countries and it is covered through a public option. Why don't we have some type of movement towards improving this system? Why aren't we as the American people? How is it that Roe v. Wade 
and culture war issues end up amongst, how is this not the number one thing every single one of us, Republican, Democrat, Independent, is voting on? None of us are insusceptible to being sick, unsusceptible to being sick. And yet, we don't seem to care about this until it directly impacts us. And then all of a sudden, it's like, can you believe that what they're doing here? This is criminal. And by that point, it's too late. By that point, you're part of the system now. You're going to be part of the working poor forever because you're never going to make enough money to be able to cover your medical bills and the rest of your living expenses. So many Americans find themselves in that reality every year. We're just like, well, that's the way the cookie crumbles. It doesn't crumble that way in most other countries. If we're the best country in the world, if we're the most advanced country in the world, if we're the richest country in the world, we should be able to figure this out. It shouldn't even have taken this long. And here we are with this tiniest crack sliver of hope that we might actually see some type of progression moving forward. And conservatives are trying to shut it down. 920-281-1150. I'd understand if you don't want to call in and talk, but at the same time, I need somebody to explain to me what the pros would be of getting rid of this. How you're like, yes, this is exactly what I nominated my politicians to do. This is what I want. This is not what should be happening. You shouldn't have you should have been taking the appropriate health measures. You know what I mean? Like it's absolute nonsense to me. There's no spinning of this act into a positive light. None. So Whenever this is the type of stuff that actually ticks me off because it so flagrantly spits in the face of the American people. I always claim I am not an expert in anything. I don't know the right answers of how to govern 400 million people. I don't know that there is a right answer for that. I don't think the founding fathers could have ever fathomed that the population of this country was going to get as large as it is. What I do know is when something obviously is a detriment to the mass majority of Americans, we shouldn't be talking about it as a possibility. Hello, you're on Outside the Box. Hi. Hello. Uh, this is Jonathan calling. Hey, Jonathan. I, I have a hopefully quick answer for your question. Um, the reason we're, you know, the country is not, you know, subsidizing, you know, doctors and dentists and so forth is we're spending all our money on uh, sending people and rocket ships to the moon or the space station. Right. No, that's honestly, that's another one. And I love space, Jonathan. Like, I'm a big, we are not alone kind of guy. But geez, oh man, are you right? Whenever, we even gave $1.2 billion to Elon Musk to make sure SpaceX stayed afloat. This genius businessman needed $1.2 billion of our money so his rockets work. And we're just supposed to accept that as our prices stay high. I think there's a lot of validity mm-hmm. to what you're saying. And you know... Uh, that doesn't help to pay my rent. I don't that think so. That doesn't help me to uh, get my prescriptions filled. Um, you know, it certainly doesn't help. Uh, you know, in the you know, as far as researching um, cures for various uh, eyesight conditions, it it doesn't go to subsidize anybody's uh, transportation. It doesn't help to get anybody's groceries, now, does it? Exactly. Oh, my God, Jonathan, you uh, fit in great on this show. Is this the first time you're calling? 
No, actually, it's the second time. Okay, okay. Well, I appreciate all of your thoughts there because, honestly, that that's exactly spot on. There's so many programs that we're told, where are we supposed to find the money to do that? We need to cut spending, and then we do these kinds of things. And in reality, wait, wait till you. I've been doing a ton of research on it, but I'm not prepared to do a segment on it yet. Wait till you hear how many defense contracts that our Department of Defense has given Elon Musk over the course of the last 12 months because of his SpaceX program. Oh, God, I'm scared to find out. Yeah, oh, my goodness. Just wait until you hear. I've been looking at this. I've been keeping it under my hat for a while because I wanted to make sure I don't sound stupid when I talk about it. But it's seriously almost a dozen different projects up in space that he is now being funded with our tax dollars again up in space. Yeah. Oh my goodness. But we can't afford oh how could we ever possibly think about trying to find a way to fund Medicare and Social Security? We just don't have the money. It's absolutely obscene. Right. Yeah, Jonathan, thank you so much for calling. We'll talk to you soon. All righty. Bye. Take it easy. Uh, it's enough to drive you nuts, I swear. All right. Whenever we come back not whenever we come back, when we come back. Um uh, which one are we going to go with here? We're going to go with the Home Depot story here. This was actually sent to me by one of my favorite callers, Cynthia from Florida. She followed me all the way from the last show that I was doing before here. She sends me a ton of ideas throughout the weeks, and sometimes she and I are just really on the same page. She sent me a quote from Home Depot's former uh, co-founder. Uh, he is their co-founder. He's no longer with the company right now. But he came out with some of his opinions about young people and their work ethic. And there's very few ways to get me more heated in this conversation. We'll be back in just a little bit. This is Outside the Box. Backed outside the box with Ben Cominos here on WHBY. Outside the box is brought to you by Hooper Law Office, providing a pathway to your legacy. We're going to be stepping outside the box on this one, I can tell you that. We're going to start in familiar territory, and then I'm really going to take it out there for you. We'll see how you guys feel about this one. I gave you guys a little taste of the real outside-the-box approach yesterday, talking about nationalizing the airline system. If they can't figure out how to use our tax dollars the right way, then we may as well take the profits out of their hands as well, give them back to the people. Uh, that was that was met with some pushback, to say the least. It was met with some mild pushback. Not the bad kind, but there was a lot of dialogue back and forth. I'm going to throw something else out there today about this one, but it's, we're going to build there, so stand by. Bernie Marcus, co-founder of Home Depot. This story was actually brought to my attention from Cynthia in Florida. Um, this is the type of stuff people that know me know. There's there's very few things uh, that get under my blood more than saying that millennials don't want to work. I'm not saying every millennial wants to work. Every generation has lazy people. That's that's not that's not what it is. My problem is. I work in an industry, especially back when I was a producer, not so much. I'm very young in terms of, uh, of uh, talk hosts, especially uh, in political talk. But uh, as far as producers go, I'm very much middle of the pack. So producers at this stage of the game is very much a uh, job for millennials. 
and I would sit there and listen to people 20, 30 years older than the rest of the producers saying millennials don't want to work anymore. While we're all sitting there making sure their shows run without a hitch. I'll tell you right now, I operate without a producer. Uh, working with one is significantly easier. Not only that, every single one of us had multiple jobs. Every single one. Not one person was just showing up to work at the station I worked at. And yet you'd hear, no millennials want to work anymore as the content all the time. And there's just very few ways to get under my skin quicker than that. Because it just shows such a... You're just like, oh, back in my day, you're becoming that person. Anybody who's saying kids don't want to work anymore, you're becoming that person. So, Bernie Marcus went with the nobody works, nobody gives a darn. He didn't say darn, though, but I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say that one or not. I always err on the side of probably shouldn't. Just give it to me. Send me money. I don't want to work. I'm too lazy. I'm too fat. I'm too stupid. This is co-founder of Home Depot, uh, Bernie Marcus, blaming the rise of socialism uh, for the idea that nobody wants to work anymore. Now, for starters, I should highlight he's 93 years old. It's a different era, which I understand. Um, we are at a record high of 154 million Americans that are currently employed. I would argue a large percentage of those people are underemployed. They're not making enough money to make ends meet. But they're working, which, you know, in the eyes of this country means they're they're doing the right thing. And uh, we're at a historically low rate of 3.7% unemployment. There are, however, businesses that are still struggling to hire. Those businesses are typically significantly lower wage businesses, such as retail work. And they go into better options. Marcus went on to add that the retailer would not have been very successful if they had launched in today's business climate. Well, that's just it, right? We always have these wealthy people telling us you shouldn't expect handouts, even though we've just gone, even over the course of the last hour, we've gone over a litany of times that the U.S. average American has bailed out the wealthiest among us. And those stories barely even get any coverage, by the way. And then uh, they turn around and say, how can you guys expect me to pay for your for your different programs? Are you kidding me? But um, that's just it, is when this guy wants to talk about, so Home Depot's been around for like 40-ish years. Um, when Home Depot started, the average pay for somebody working there was between 5 and $7 an hour. Now they're up to between 10 and $12 an hour. All right, so there has been an increase, but at the end of the day, it's negligible. I would argue that it's a negligible increase in the price. And as a result of that, the average CEO pay in the 80s was, I'm sorry, not the average CEO, the CEO of Home Depot's pay was $300,000 back whenever this happened. I believe it was 30 to 1 or something like that, maybe 50 to 1 was the ratio of the CEO pay compared to everybody else's pay in the in the building. We're now up over 400 to 1 in terms of what the CEO makes compared to what the average employee makes. This isn't an issue about nobody wants to work anymore. It's that we're done being taken advantage of. You want workers? You don't get to take home that many billions. Sorry, Bernie. Sorry, Bernie, it doesn't work that way. Maybe you don't want to work hard enough if you expect people to just put up with that. 
I should say before we go any further, uh, Bernie no longer works with the industry with the with Home Depot. Uh, he's been gone for more than 20 years, and a spokesperson for Home Depot did say that he in no way reflects the views of Home Depot. I think that's very important for me to say. So please do not associate these claims with Home Depot. This these claims all go to one jaded, bitter, out of touch guy. That's all it is. He goes on to say, and this is where we're going to step outside of the box here. We would end up with 15 or 16 stores. I don't know if we could go any further than that. I've been saying this for a while in my life now, and I haven't said this on the air, at least here yet. So we're going to cross this bridge, and I'm interested in what you guys think. I think we have allowed corporations to take advantage of our low-pay system for so long and that is how so many companies have spread as big as they are. Because that's always the argument, right? Back whenever McDonald's employees were making $8 an hour and we'd be sitting there saying they should make 12 people would say, well, it seems like a negligible increase, but whenever you think about how many employees McDonald's has, that's a lot of money to be going out the doors if you're giving everybody a 50% increase. And I would tend to agree with you. I would tend to agree that that's a massive increase that it would be difficult to do over the course of hundreds of thousands, if not millions of employees worldwide. Although I highly doubt that outside of America, if there were to pass a pay increase, they'd be seeing it in any other country. But so let's assume hundreds of thousands of employees in America would all be receiving a $4 increase because they have such a large company. I would argue had they been required to keep up with inflation since the 70s, McDonald's never would have expanded to the behemoth it is today. That does not mean there would not be fast food everywhere. That would mean we would have dozens of options for fast food. Instead, we allow people to take advantage of a system, pay measly wages, complain about the idea of even giving somebody an extra quarter per hour, and then turn around and say, you know, if you would have made me pay living wages, I never would have been able to get past 15 or 16 stores. Then maybe you shouldn't have been able to get past 15 or 16 stores. If the difference between you pulling that off and not is giving your employees the ability to live. I'm not asking for the government to step in and say you can only be so big, but I'm saying we need some type of mandate on pay. And then to have guys like this blame socialism for the reason why no one wants to work for $10 an hour in this inflationary economy is insulting. It's clearly your business practices, Bernie. Hello, you're on Outside the Box. Hello. Hello, you're on Outside the Box. Hey, Ben. Jerry from Appleton. What's up, Jerry? i got two things for you this morning. Yep. First, on your current topic, I agree with you 100%. The way I say it is if your business model depends on taking unfair advantage of workers by paying them really low salary, no benefits, and horrible working conditions, then you're vulnerable to people not wanting to work for you if they have options. Exactly. And that's what we're seeing in this economy. I want to go back, though, before the break, before the news break, sure. to a topic. A gentleman called in, and I'm going to kind of say it a little differently uh, than the discussion, but it seemed like it was about the federal spending uh-huh. and how federal spending was in areas that he didn't agree with. And... 
I'm not an expert on the federal budget, but it seemed like he was focusing on NASA. And I'm under the impression that the NASA part of the federal budget is tiny. So let me so I looked it up. Let me throw some numbers at you. Federal. This is a couple of years old. I mean, it's all I could find on short notice. Federal budget. Thirty four percent is for Social Security and unemployment. That's a third. Twenty four percent goes to Medicare and health benefits. That's a quarter. Eighteen percent goes to military. Seven percent goes to interest on the debt. Four percent food and agriculture. That's a lot of the agriculture subsidies you've been talking about. Four mm-hmm. percent veterans benefits. Two percent transportation. Two percent education. Two percent housing and community. Science is one percent. It's a tiny little sliver. Sure. And NASA is part of that and nasa doesn't even show up okay uh, i think so my basic point is this if we can't be fact-based in our conversations about what the problems are we're never going to be able to solve them so if somebody doesn't like nasa i get that but that has virtually nothing to do with the federal deficit or how money is being spent. Oh, that's a super fair point, Jerry. And honestly, I even pivoted right out of that because I even mentioned I am pro-NASA. I do I do like the idea of space. There are better ways to spend the money. But as you mentioned, it's a negligible amount. My issue was, and again, this is a negligible amount, too. It's the $1.2 billion that goes to Elon Musk for SpaceX. The guy claims he's the richest guy in the world. A, a, a genius businessman and his business was about to go under and you and I bailed him out. So if your business was going under, if I couldn't make rent this month, you think I could call the government and be like, guys, I need 40 grand. Just this year did not go the way I thought it was going to. I need 40 grand to cover me for 2023. It's not going to work that way, but we'll give 1.2 billion. Not. So Elon can, can build his, his rocket ships. You'd probably have to go out and get a second job like you were talking about a few minutes ago. There it is. Jerry, always love when you call. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you, sir. Yep. Let's see who else we got here. Hello, you're on Outside the Box. Hello, good morning. It's Ken. What's up, Ken? Where to start? <laughs> the, the last gentleman who called, he, he gave me an idea. If you look at the federal government, as kind of a financial sum. And you look at all the areas of the economy as the shadow cast by that sum. Because like he he mentioned 1% for science. Sure. And, you know, you you hear that, oh my God. But we forget that there are literally hundreds of universities that do research, and that adds to the scientific endeavor. And then what we do with those is because this is, is, so to speak, hidden from the public, what we do is they give the companies that research. Right, right. And the companies never have to pay them. Exactly. Each area of the economy, like he mentions um, the uh, pensions for uh, soldiers, again, there are additions that are added out in the economy, like um, 
old age insurance and and the uh, attendant structures that those people buy. So you can look at the at the government as a central generator for the economy, and in a very real sense, since probably the 30s, we have actually moved into a fascist system because our government and our industries are so entwined that you can't you can't tear them apart. Well, that's just it, Ken. And I, I don't I don't know if I classify it as fascist or not. And I don't even know that I have an issue with government subsidies going into a lot of these developments. Where my issue stems from is that they then turn around and charge us an arm and a leg trying to just rake us over the coals and take us for everything we're worth. And then whenever my generation stands up and says, you know what, we were taken advantage of on college loans, we want those paid back, everyone stands up and says, sit down, stop asking for a handout, while every single wealthy person around you is siphoning billions of your dollars out of the system every year. And that's where my frustration typically stems from in this conversation. Well, once a year, I used to read it every year, but now I listen to it on audiobook. I listen to the autobiography of Benjamin Franklin. And every one of the acquaintances and relatives in Franklin's sphere were trying to get their own company. <laughs> At the age of 17, I believe it was 17, it may have been 16. He tried to become uh, the state printer for, I, I believe it was Pennsylvania, but I'm not sure. Okay. But he tried to, to get the job as state printer for that at the age of 17. Think of the initiative. Think of the capability, because he was a good printer. Sure. And he did later get contracts. So you had at the age of 17, not only a kid who was able, wanted to run his own company, but was able to. Now think if we put that initiative back into our society. I mean, there's no telling where exactly. we can go. Exactly. Oh, my God. Yeah. Whenever you put it through that lens, I couldn't agree with you more on that. And it, it goes to show you it's such a tacky saying, but history really does repeat itself. And I swear to you, that's why there's such an underfunding when it comes to teaching history. Because I was unaware. You, you've taught me some stuff there. I obviously felt in my gut what you were saying just by seeing the system in my own contemporary time. But... It's been going this way for 250 years, and it's just, it's on us to be knowledgeable and demand better than what we're seeing. Right, and, and the problem is the effects are steamrolled. So in other words, if you have a generation which is ill-educated, um, then you have the next generation even more ill-educated. Right. It's, it's cumulative. Oh, yeah. And if we wonder why we're in this situation, it's because of that accumulation, plus 
We don't take responsibility for our government. And Ken, it's not even a matter of 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 uh, uh, well, what am I trying to say here? Of uneducated breeding, uneducated. And I'm not implying that I think it should be this way either. But like, I'm Greek, and in Greece, which has plenty of problems there. But if you have a PhD in Greece. People that don't have a PhD don't even look you in the eye because they are intimidated by the level of intelligence that you have. In this country, if you have a PhD, you're told you're an elitist and we don't care about your opinion. And that breeds a lot of ignorance as well. I'm not saying that because you're educated, you're better than somebody, but I'm saying because you're educated, you probably know more about certain subjects than the majority of people. And in this country, you're ostracized for knowing more. Well, even curiosity is—that's—it's not a thing anymore. I yeah. mean, Google has taken whatever curiosity there is. Google has absorbed it, and I can't tell you how many times I quickly Google a subject, and I say that's not right. <laughs> then I have to go to other sources. And, and, you know, people, when they Google, a lot of times are looking for confirmation. Right. Well, garbage in, garbage out. Yeah, very much. Go ahead. Like I said, we've got to do an entire systemic examination, not only of our society, but of civilization the way it is tending. Buckminster Fuller used to have a deal at the University of Chicago uh, called something like the World Game. And in that, they these guys would find out everything they could about everything. And they would, so to speak, throw it into this game structure to, to not only try to find out what the future was, but to find out what the present state is. Uh-huh. Interesting. We don't do that anymore. No, no, to say the least. That's uh, great. Ken, I'm late to a break. I got to get rolling here. It was good talking with you, though, but a lot of good points made there. Take care. Yeah, you too. All right, yeah. Uh, There's a lot of truth to that. You know what's funny? I always said the iPhone ruined the endless debate. Like back in the 90s and early 2000s, you'd be like, uh, I think that movie was starring uh, Jim Carrey, and someone else would say, no, I'm pretty sure it was starring Mike Myers. And you would just stand there yelling at each other back and forth. Now Google takes that away, and you just take what they say at face value. Actors in a movie, yeah, that's easy to determine. Something a little more in-depth or obscure, you might have multiple answers, and depending on how how Google prioritizes, that's going to determine the information you get. And that's how we're educating ourselves now. Very good points from Ken. Super late to a break. We'll be back in just a little bit. This is Outside the Box on WHPY. Stop me when you've heard this before with the free WHBY mobile app powered by Christensen Heating and Air Conditioning. Get notifications of breaking news, weather, and more sent directly to your mobile device. Download today in the App Store and Google Play. You can also download this program, any other program, going back for a very long time. Get weather, traffic, and news updates. So many benefits. Completely free, easy to use, totally worth checking out. 
We have been talking this hour about comments by former, or a cur- I guess, Home Depot co-founder, no longer with the company for over 20 years. These claims do not represent uh, Home Depot. Can't stress that enough. But uh, he's essentially saying millennials don't want to work anymore, which there's very few things that you can say to me to get me going other than that, just because I know the struggles that many of the people in my own life go through day to day, especially in this industry. So we've been diving into what that is. I got a call from a good friend of mine, Craig, from West Virginia during the break, and we're going to hash this out a little bit here. What's going on, Craig? Hey, Ben, buddy. I'm going to put my uh, two and a half cents in on this when I have to. I know. I already. Uh, I, I, I can't believe it uh, took this when long. I, when I call your show, I never speak about my personal feelings. It's either going to be something I've lived or something that I have done a lot of research on. Sure. This topic here, I've lived. But I'm not going to just pick on your generation. I'm going to pick on my generation, the so-called air quotes, the greatest generation. Okay. I watched them shatter the steel mills and the coal mines in my area. You know, uh, they were backed by the union. They couldn't get fired. And that, that's what brought the steel mills and the coal mines down, wanting more and more and more and producing less and less. But now when it comes to your generation, the last company I worked for out on the gas well sites, in the oil sites, we had 117 employees, and probably 100 of them were your age or less, 35 and down. The, the supervisor, superintendent, and foreman had to come into the office an hour early each day to find out who had reported off already, so that we, because we would work on seven, eight, nine, ten different gas wells the same week. We had to know what manpower we had by who reported off and what jobs could be completed on a daily basis. I'll give you an example, and I don't know if I've ever said this on your show, but one of the last times when I decided it was time for me to back away and start looking at retirement and that type of thing, I had one of my employees call me up and say he couldn't make it today. And I said, well, why? What's going on? He said, i got to help my mother take the dogs to the groomer. (laughs) (laughs) Now, here's the part people don't understand about being in big business. When when we would sign a contract, I would say that I'm going to have that job done by, let's say, February 20th. If I'm not done by February 20th, I'm fined $5,000 a day. So I got a guy that has to help his mom go get his labradoodle trimmed, (laughs) and I'm worried about $5,000 fine a day on uh, February 21st. But I kid you not, there were days that out of 100 employees your age, by the time the workday started, we would have 50 people. Oh, and I mean, anecdotally, I could go tit for tat with you as well. I used to bartend, and it was me and a bunch of women all in our early 20s, right? It was a fantastic, fantastic working environment. Um, But in any event, one time on a Saturday, an hour before her 4 p.m. shift, which if you know anything about restaurants, that's the shift, um, calls off and says, I forgot I had hot yoga today. I'm not going to be able to make it. And that was legitimately her excuse. So like anecdotally, (laughs) most certainly I could go back and forth. But when you call back home in Pittsburgh and call to be on that station, I promise you every person you call is younger than me and is at least working two jobs and is probably living at home because between those two jobs, they're still not making enough money to pay what rent is right now. So I feel like that's anecdotal whenever we have the laziness, whereas the reality is a lot of jobs just aren't paying what's necessary to live. And if you're telling me my choices are go to work 
and barely be able to function or not work and basically not be able to function. There's not really enough of a jump between those two distinctions for the average person. Me and you, you and I, yeah, I think we, we have the type of personality to get to it. But I understand at least why some people are like, well, if I'm going to be eating ramen noodles and bag of chips anyway because I'm making so little, why not just take a day and relax? So, I mean, I do understand where you're frustrated and where $5,000 a day is ridiculous, but, like, that's the reality people are facing too. I agree with you. Like like we said in the past, me and you are trying to get to the same place, find the middle class. Right. But, once again, wasn't that you that brought up the automated McDonald's? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, they're tired of de- dealing with that. That's why this is happening. They're tired of dealing with it. But but once again, you got to put some some weight on. You know, I can teach a chimpanzee how to pour more a milkshake in about a day. Oh, for sure. And I'd also argue, though, Craig, I think we're intentionally not automating positions because we don't want to have a mass unemployment crisis. I think we have a lot of jobs in America right now that probably could be done by machines, if not today, within a decade. You know what I mean? And I feel like we're we're delaying that process because... The, the powers that be know sending 30 million people to the unemployment line is going to be a nightmare. So what they're doing is slowly, I always use the example on this show, I started being a producer in October of 18. I'd have to touch the, the board 45 times an hour to do an hour of programming. In December of 2022, I have to touch the board like six times to make an hour go. I'm watching it automate right in front of my face. People need to prepare for that. But at the same time, I don't want to hear that it's automating because people are asking for too much money. It's automating because the higher-ups are like, you know what, we could make even more money if we just cut the employment part of it out. And that's the eventuality we're headed towards. I think it's about 50-50. I I can agree with you on that, too. The uppers want more. You know, I agree. But I also, you know, when you were in my position and you have your whole crew report off and one guy's, you know, getting a labradoodle trimmed, ooh. Uh, yeah, that one's, yeah, hot yoga and labradoodles, I've got issues, you and me both. Uh, you know what, Craig, I think we're shaving the sides off of this here. We're getting close to 100% between you and I. We're getting there every day, and I like it. <laughs> no doubt, buddy. Uh, enjoy the new year. I'll talk to you next week. All right, bud. Have a good weekend. All right, bye. That's just it. And, like, he comes with work experience, own like, from a higher-up experience. I've never owned a thing, right? I know how to make things successful. I've worked at family businesses. I've been a small, I've been a small part of a small operation in trying to get things off the ground. My most lucrative sales position, I was one of nine employees at an entire uh, software company. I built the sales department myself. It was me and one other guy. And that one other guy also called off quite a bit. I recognize that that's an issue, but for this billionaire, Bernie Marcus, to sit there and say people are sitting there waiting for a handout, I think I've provided ample examples throughout this show today and over the course of the last four months of people in his position sitting there looking for the handout a lot more frequently than the average American is. The only difference being his class actually gets the assistance they're looking for, we're told, stop complaining and do what you need to do. We're going to have Haley coming in on the other side of the break. It's really hard to change the tone. I I realize I'm a professional and I'm going to get there someday, but it's not going to be today. 
We're going to have Haley come in on the other side of the break. She's going to be setting up her show, and I'm going to give you my final thoughts on this. We still have a retirement plan thing and COVID plans for China that we're in all likelihood not going to get to. We'll see. Maybe we'll try and squeeze them both in in like six minutes on the other side of the conversation with Haley. Uh, anybody else who wants to chime in after Haley and I are done talking, you're more than welcome to join the conversation. 920-281-1150. 920-281-1150. Hope you'll jump in there. And uh, we'll be back in just a couple minutes. You're listening Outside the Box with Ben Cominos here on WHBY. All right, we're back to Outside the Box with Ben Cominos here on WHBY. Outside the Box is brought to you by Hooper Law Office, providing a pathway to your legacy. It's that time of the show. I'm joined by Haley Tenpass, the special guest Noah in the house today. How are you today? <laughs> I'm good. Yeah, intern Noah is here again on your Friday. Exactly. Little What's going on, Noah? Holiday break, huh? You. Yeah, all right. Glad. <laughs> Normally, you're at the beginning of the show uh, every every now and again. Now he's here in the end. Noah is our resident young person at WHBY. He <laughs> helps keep Haley and I hip. We still think we're hip, but we're getting up there, uh, and we really just can't hang anymore. So Noah, I lets claim us no know. hipness. You I know I'm, I'm I've I've <laughs> I'm gone. <laughs> I thought she was hip. Apparently, that was just a me thing. I don't know. Now I know that. Now, how are you today? Um, actually, you know what? It doesn't matter how you are. All right, there we go. We're What's good. Going? All right, good. Um, let me ask you before we get into it today. I've been there's two things that you can say that really gets me going on this show. The first one is that video games cause violence. No one said that today, but eventually someone's going to say it. The other one is that no one our age likes to work. When was your first job, Haley? Well, what do you qualify as work? Because I started babysitting that counts. at age 12. I took okay. I took my safe sitter course at the hospital in New London. I was 12 years old. I took it very seriously. I can only imagine. As someone who was obscenely obsessed with the babysitter's club growing up, <laughs> this was a job that I took so seriously. I had a backpack. I had all my safety gear. I, I brought what... <laughs> They referred to in the books as kid kits. I would bring t toys with me and books and activities. <laughs> and I'd watch your kids for two hours. And I took that as serious. At 12 years old, how 12, often were 13. you watching people that were like nine? Kids that were like nine? Or was this like genuinely like babies? Or, or no, I would say I would say probably under the age, like eight and younger. Okay. Yeah. And it was never anything long, long term, sure. a couple hours here and there, usually maybe during the day. It was a neighbor. It was someone in the community. This is before cell phones, though. Yeah. You know, yes. Can you imagine a time, Noah, before <laughs> cell phones, right? You had a home phone and all of that. Oh, so yeah, yeah, babysitting was my first, I guess, job. But I was so involved in activities in high school. I, I couldn't work. I was in I was on right. the dance team. I was, uh, you know, a two-sport athlete. I yeah. was in musicals. and So I didn't have time to work in high school because I was so busy with activities. But my first job, my first real big kid job uh, was working retail the end of my senior year. Right. Oh, wow. You and I, other than the babysitting thing, you and I kind of parallel each yeah. other uh, the entire route. And that's just it. So essentially, and no one, no one's going to hold you. I was the same way. I would leave for high school at 630 in the morning. I wasn't getting back till nine o'clock. So you tell me whenever somebody's working in that shift. 615 dance practice in the morning. Right. Mm -hmm. So, but whenever summertime rolled around, I was working in retail as well. And you do the things. And I haven't stopped since 17. I've always had a job of some kind. Same. At least one. Unless I was in school. 
And then my parents were like, your focus is school. Yes. I ran track in college. So, you know, that was my full-time, that sure. was my full-time job for sure. about three years. And then I took an internship. When I, when I decided to quit track, it was because I wanted to get an internship and pursue um, what would eventually be my career. So, and that's how a lot of my friends were too. It, I, I can't think of a lot of people my age who weren't involved in, if they were involved in, ac- in an activity with school, then they might not have been working. Sure. But if they weren't, then they were working. See, now this is why she's a professional, because she knew exactly where I was going with this. I was just going to ask you, now do you think you were the exception or do you think you were the norm? And I would argue you're probably the norm. I was the norm because uh, I was busy. R- but I just mean the fact that you were working and the fact that your oh. friends were working. It's just the idea I always say... I, working in AM radio, a lot of our coworkers are, are significantly, not significantly, but, but a little older than us, right? They, they, they have a little more experience. They've gone through it. They look at millennials a little bit differently. And I would always sit there and I would say, so do you think you found the one millennial who has three jobs? Or do you think maybe we're being a little difficult on, on one generation of people? And I tend to think that might be the reality of the situation. Especially of this guy. I mean, you know, you know his. <laughs> he works harder than both of That's us. That's what I'm saying. He has like four <laughs> jobs or something like that. I'm pointing he, at Noah yeah. here. So yeah, it's just I've been doing a story for the better part of this hour here about just another wealthy guy saying we're looking for handouts and don't want to work. I will argue this. I will argue that I think our generation is finally saying we have to find balance. Sure. And there's a lot of I think weight on the term work life balance. Yeah. 15 years ago, I would have looked at you and said, no, I want to I, I want a job. I want to work. But as we look to build families and, mm-hmm. and build lives, I think we realize how critical that work life balance is for our, our our mental state. And, you know, I, a lot of people that I know are two parents working. So you have to kind of find work-life balance in that because one parent isn't staying home all the time to take care of a lot of those, you know, duties in the home. So I think there's a lot of weight on our generation put on finding work-life balance and not being willing to settle for, for careers that maybe emphasize work. There it is. I, I, I don't I, know. I, I think that's a pretty accurate assessment. I'm not, you and I are in slightly different facets of life in that regard, just because I'm not in the family side yet, but I totally understand that and where that comes from. I, I realize we're droning here. We'll get to your show here. I just, <laughs> I was, I was still heated. This from is a, fac- this is a fascinating seconds. conversation. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, I just wanted your input on it as well. So, uh, thank you for chiming in on that. You're well, welcome. Yeah. What do you have coming up the rest of the show? <laughs> All right. Well, our number one is Rob Zimmer Outdoors, of course. I'm familiar. He is the best. And I would imagine that Rob's going to talk a little bit about some of the favorite things that he's seen over the last year. He'll remind us of those wonderful, wonderful things that happened in nature in the past year. Awesome. So we'll take your calls. We'll talk about what's coming up in the new year. And it's always a lovely hour when Rob Zimmer is here. So join us. He and I, at some point in 2023, he's going to take me out to a couple of nature sites that he thinks I would enjoy, which yes. I'm really looking forward to. He's, we've already started kind of planning this out. So he knows He's the guy. Yeah, he's the guy. That's All right. Say. And then in hour number two, it is the best of Focus Fox Valley in 2022. I spent the past two hours going through my calendar. <laughs> what a trip, by the way. I'm Just sure. taking a look at the interviews we've done over the past year. Her calendar is a rainbow, by the way, guys. It's just 57 <laughs> different colors jam-packed. I'll be walking by and be like, nope, and just keep walking. But anyway, go I might on. be the only millennial who still keeps a physical <laughs> calendar. 
I've yeah. got my date book and I cannot. Yeah. I can't I can't make the transition to digital oh, for some it. reason. I get it. I, I love my little post it tabs. Yeah, I dig it. Anyways, uh I've I've got one interview from each month that was one of my favorites. Not the best or, you know, the only favorite of that month. It was really hard in some circumstances to pick just one per month. But we do have an interview for each month starting in January when we interviewed the creator of a Betty White documentary in the area. So that was really cool. Um, February is a story of a a couple who met on Match.com and then he ended up being a perfect match for a kidney donation. Oh, get out of here. Right? I mean, and then uh, March will highlight our Women Who Wow Us series, a reminder of some incredible women that we got to talk with in March. April, I I just love, I loved our conversation with Karen Ann Hoffman, who is a Haudenosaunee-raised beadwork artist with the Oneida tribe. I just loved our conversation. In May, we spoke with a woman who ran her 31st consecutive Boston Marathon. Uh, June, we are going to fe- feature one of the most positive men I've ever spoken with, Mr. I Am Possible, Mr. Keith L. Brown, who was uh, emceeing the area's Juneteenth celebration. Just, I just loved his energy. He was so great to talk with. July is The Power of Flowers, a, a book we got to talk with the author about. She's based in Door County. Uh, my biggest laugh on the air, by the way, that I, I kick myself for, and I'll, you can give me all the crap you want, but she's from La Jolla, California. Uh-huh. But on paper, when you read it, it looks like La Jala. <laughs> yeah. And I said La Jala on the air. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and it's one of those things that I think about it, and it makes yeah. me smile, and maybe I'll make the listeners smile, too. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> That's fantastic. I love that. In in August, we spoke with a woman who uh, is a homestead. She has a homestead, and she's really great about preserving foods, and we talk with her a little bit about her book, Whole Fed Homestead. In September, we highlight an interview about two women who work in the CSI world. Uh, October was our show about nothing, which I've gotten so, such great feedback on. Sure. Uh, the class at Lawrence University and then the Buy Nothing app. It was a show about nothing. It was so fun uh, and then november we highlighted little arlo's story a little two-year-old who still needs a kidney folks so we'll remind you of arlo and then december we had our emotional cpr friends back and we just had a great conversation about being okay with not being okay at the holidays and i i, I just loved all these conversations so much so we'll reflect back on some of them and, and replay pieces of them and i hope you tune in Yeah, we talked about it yesterday about how these years in review can really provide some insight into what's happened over the course of 12 months. And honestly, just me listening to that, I even smiled a little bit because I started recognizing the second half of the Mm -hmm, stories mm because we teased them together. And you just realized like, oh, wow, I've been here that long. Well, I look back at the calendar and I saw our first conversation was like in September. Yeah. I'm thinking to myself. Ben's been here since September already. Right, yeah. it, it seems like you've been here forever, and yet... Yeah, it's been so short. It's, and it's been so short, yeah. Those type of segments is what really highlights how quick and how slow at the same time time can go by. Exactly. So that'll be an awesome listen there. Yeah. Great stuff. Thanks, All right. Ben. All right, hey, Monday or Tuesday, you can't bail on this. We'll it's see gonna, you next year. See you. Oh, <laughs> you got, <laughs> I, I kind of want to kick you out, but I'm, I'm committing you right now to oh, this boy. segment Tuesday. You can, there's no bailing out because Leo will be joining us over the phone and we're going to have a breakdown about <laughs> what happened over the weekend here in our fantasy league during this segment. 
must listen to radio I here, don't know people. how I'm, I'm in this game, Ben. Yeah, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. And Leo's very nervous, so we're going to have fun with it. Well, he's currently winning, so... Don't worry about it. I have faith. I'm, I'm 100% <laughs> behind you. Get out of here. Your show's basically starting at this point. Thank you for joining us. Uh, we're about done here for 2022 in general. Haley's going to be on in just about 12 minutes, so thank you for so much for listening today, guys. Uh, always an enjoyable time talking to you guys here. This was a pretty fun and all-over-the-place show. Very different than yesterday, where we just stayed on Southwest for the entire two hours. But uh, when we come back on Tuesday, I will not be here on Monday. I actually get a day off. It'll be kind of nice. But we'll be back on Tuesday with all of the biggest stories from over the weekend. And we're really going to start ramping up again on just coming in with some of the lesser-known, hardest-hitting stories that you guys have known me to bring over the last four months. I've enjoyed growing with you guys in 2022 this year, and I look forward even more to seeing where this show goes over the course of the next 12 months. So again, stay safe out there. Don't make dumb decisions. Don't do anything I wouldn't do, but also don't do anything I would do. There's like a slim space there, and that's where you got to live. We'll talk to you again on Tuesday. Have a great weekend.